I am Plant on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Melissa Errico joins me now. The renowned singer, actress, and author has just released a new album, Out of the Dark, The Film Noir Project. It's a marvelous collection of songs like Laura and The Bad and the Beautiful, memorable songs from classic noir pictures. These are songs of love, of hope, despair, and hope renewed. The album also features classic French chansons from the 1950s and 1960s, as well as some modern noir takes like Cy Coleman and David Zippel's With Every Breath I Take from their uh, musical City of Angels. Other classics include uh, Harold Arlen and Ira Gershwin's The Man That Got Away, Lionel Newman's Again, and Harry Warren and Leo Robbins' Check In My Heart. There are four brand new songs on the album, composed by Michelle Legrand, David Shire, the late Peter Foley, to whom this album is dedicated, with uh, lyrics by Melissa's friend and frequent collaborator Adam Gopnik. The music on this album is arranged by musical director and pianist Ted Firth. Melissa Errico is a graduate of Yale and has appeared on Broadway in productions of My Fair Lady, High Society, Call Me Madam, and Amour, for which she received a 2003 Tony Award nomination for Best Performance by a Leading Actress in a Musical. I'll ask Melissa about the films and music she likes, as well as working with the greats like Michelle Legrand and Stephen Sondheim. The late critic uh, Terry Teachout said of her 2018 album Sondheim Sublime that it was, quote, the best all-Sondheim album ever recorded. This uh, album is from Ghostlight Records and uh, is available as a disc online and elsewhere, uh, as well as through uh, digital download. Uh, by way of all the platforms, visit thefilmnoirproject.com for more. She joined me from New York City one week ago. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online Program, Melissa Errico. Ms. Errico, good morning. Oh, hello. Thanks for joining us. Um, Thank you. Uh, we were just uh, starting, uh, just, just before we started, we've been talking about movies that we like and the sort. I, I was just telling you that I have out of the past uh, the, the, the uh, movie poster on a little postcard on my desk here. Um, I, there's nothing about like Robert Mitchum on, on film, is there? Oh, no, nothing like Robert Mitchum and uh, Jane Greer and oh. Kirk Douglas. The idea that she had to choose between those two men, in a way, <laughs> is what's a girl to do? Is <laughs> yeah. um, noir, in terms of a genre of film, has that always been a favorite of yours? No, it is. It has been. Though I didn't know much about it, I was an art history and philosophy major, in college, mm -hmm. though I had already begun being a professional actress, I had a real interest in art history. And when I applied to college, when I went to Yale, actually, I was uh, right away in the art history and philosophy department. And art history is, is a fantastic, it's a great decision. I, I recommend to anyone with children going to college or anyone considering it's one of the great majors. You just get the history of ideas, you know, and the visual arts. And I did take a class, a film studies class, and we were literally skipping along from genre to genre just to get the basics. Yeah. And when I was presented with Refifi, I'll never forget this wave of, of fascination came over me. There was something about the movie, the 20 or 25 minutes of silence mm. in the movie in yep. which a burglary is is uh, conducted and the burglary was so exact that I guess what happened at that time was that people imitated the burglary all throughout the world and so the movie was banned in many countries. Right, yeah. Uh, just so interesting. And there was a cabaret singer who sang throughout and sometimes she was in a black leggings and kind of a 
leotard that appear, appealed to my kind of flashdance sensibilities, you know, even though it was the 40s. She would yeah. stretch and, you know, do work out because she was a cabaret singer getting ready for the evening, so she'd be stretching by the piano with her um, band. <laughs> I just thought the whole world of criminals and ne'er-do-wells and the thread of this Aphrodite-like figure that came through these movies as both a distraction as well as, in some ways, an, a, a wizened soul. Yeah. You know, she was either... She's either a lightweight thing that cheers up these movies, or she's actually um, not a muse as much as a, a, a truth teller, yeah, um, yeah. a wise woman, the feminine uh, brilliance, really, of a cabaret singer at, as an icon. You yeah. know, so it, I, that stayed with me, and of course it was, it's um, French and uh, and. So it had a European feeling to it. So it just, I just clocked it as something that I was fascinated. I wanted to, to get back to. And then did you, do you remember, uh, Carly Simon did a, an album called Film Noir. Mm, right, yeah. In the early 90s. And I was so mad. I was like, ah, oh, she thought of it. <laughs> you know, that was my record to make. Yeah. And I put it aside. And blessedly, I made a record with Arif Martin, who was her producer. Mm. Um, in my first album when I was signed to uh, sort of Blue Note Manhattan Records, and I had the blessing to get to work with Arif. And, you know, so he knew a lot about film noir, having worked with her, the song Laura. And they had their own pop sort of sensibility that they put on it. So I put that aside, and then we lived through this apocalypse or whatever yeah. we're living through. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, like all of us, you know, I have... I. I, I just started to think about what are the principal things that interest me in life and in the world. And after making sure my family and my parents were okay and my children were in bed and calm and my husband was safe, he was sick from yeah. the beginning, uh -huh. um, I just kicked back with the dog and a little bit of <laughs> alcohol, to uh -huh. be honest. Yeah. And I turned on some of the noir movies. I remember looking up RCP and then I kept going and going. And while the whole world was quiet and dark and nobody was together, I see Elevator to the Gallows, and this man is trapped in an elevator. And he, she doesn't understand where he is. He can't explain where he is, and everybody's isolated and anxious. I thought, wow, this is like a new noir time right now. Yeah, okay. We're in like the, today is the neo-noir. Talking about Robert Mitchum and mm -hmm. his neo-noir work in the 70s. Yeah. I feel like we kind of had a little... Re return to a sensibility of anxiety. Yeah, there, there's something about these songs in, on your album that, that um, uh, maybe they're about love, they're about heartbreak, unrequited love, r real life essentially, and, and, and sort of the unknown, and we're going into something that we don't really know what's going to happen. And yes, there's a sense of the enigma. Yeah. It's not just breakup songs or retro 40s music. Yeah. It's a sense that life is an enigma, that we have no control over our fate, you know, that fate. Um, like what is meant to be is what will be. Mm -hmm. uh, that fatality, you know, that kind of intractable sense of fate, that's what makes noir noir. Yeah. Not just the scandals and the um, infidelity or the, you know, beautiful black and white yeah. movies or even the murders. It's a sense of um, the predicament of life, you know, the anxiety of life. And one wrong move, one yeah. wrong move and oh, you're man, yeah. you're sunk. Yeah. 
you know, elevator to gallows. He had it perfect, but he just forgot that one rope. Yeah, yeah. And the whole audience goes, oh. <laughs> I did a um, film festival during the pandemic. I, I was asked by the um, the French Institute to uh-huh. curate a film festival. So I, I watched people, you know, watching these movies, and they just they crawl when they watch. <laughs> they go, oh. Every moment does the plots turn. It's, yeah. You know, anyhow, so you asked me questions, but I, t- I could always tell well, you anything about noir. I just it, love, I love it. I did see it as a kind of distant mirror, yeah. as it were, uh-huh. of our present predicaments. I did, uh, the more I watched those movies, the more I realized they were a distant mirror, if you will, of today. Indeed, um, indeed. The, the, the music me. video, Angel Eyes, um, mm. you, you embody, you play that character of the femme fatale. Um, Thank you. you. You look dangerous. You look mysterious, but you also look like a lot of trouble. You know. <laughs> oh, that's good. And you may there, there's no way you could read it. You would be able to understand exactly that. Um, when I do my live concerts, uh-huh. I I explain that at the height of the pandemic, I was home. It was midnight. My children had remote schooling, but I had tucked them into bed. My husband had the virus. I locked him in the basement, and then I fell into film noir. I slipped through YouTube and I fell into film noir, Mitchum and yeah. McCall and Stanwyck. The idea that after midnight I have two lives. Mm. In one, I'm here with my kids in Bronxville and, you know, in the suburbs, but it, you know, doing ballet, you know, getting the kids to, doing their ballet and continue feeding them and all this. But in the other, I'm there, a noir heroine. And so in the Angel Eyes video, at the very end, I'm right outside Grand Central. Yeah, on 40th year, right? Yeah. Am I going back to my possibly reality? Yeah. So that that's a little sub story that only you know and your listeners. <laughs> the, the You're the only thing. few people in the world I've ever told that to. <laughs> I think I've never told that to anyone, Joe. <laughs> the the the, um, the other thing about the the, uh, the the song Angel Eyes, you do the verse, which I didn't know it had. Um, oh, it, isn't the verse the verse and is that first everything. line. That first line says everything about, the, about where we are, yeah. the album. Did you ever have the feeling the world's gone and left you behind? Yes. Ever had the feeling that the world's gone and left you behind? Man, that's just... The ever had the feeling that you're that close to losing your mind? Of course we have. Yeah, yeah. Have yeah. You ever had the feeling the world's gone and left you behind? Ever had the feeling you're that close to losing your mind? You look around each corner, hoping that he's there. You try to play it cool, perhaps pretend that you don't care. But it doesn't do a good, a bit of good. You've got to seek till you find, or you'll never unwind. Try yeah. to think, and that the idea that we have that we have something to unwind, you know, yeah. unwind. I guess I felt like there's something in the language and the poetry of this that it was somehow, I don't know. It was interesting, and it is interesting to me right now as we are all processing uh, an enigma yeah. of a time. And it's fun, right? It's real glamorous, too. I love the girl. They got this great gown, you know, yeah, great yeah. musicians. And I, I feel like at, at once I'm sort of maybe channeling the pressures of the pandemic and the other i'm completely avoiding them <laughs> completely <laughs> just in a gown lost in this jazz and ideas and beautiful lyrics and songs about wanting something you can't have 
things that are elusive, anything that's elusive, um, I kind of invite you to come and bring all your fantasies and your nightmares, but mostly your fantasies, you know, to my show. Yeah, yeah. It's a song, you know, it, it's like The Man That Got Away. These are songs that we all know, but the, 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 the take that you do on them, um, like Laura, for example, is one of my favorite songs ever. Um, your version of it is so um, enjoyable to hear that, you know, I was telling right. you before we started, I've had it on repeat over the last few months ever since the album Aww. came out because it's, it's, um, it's a song that I know, but, uh, you know, I just love listening to it over and over again because it's, it's something fresh that you bring to it. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I think we all have a Laura. Mm. Everyone has a Laura. It's something that may or may not have ever happened, yeah. but you remember it well. And you don't want to ever lose that feeling. It's a kind of, yeah, everybody has one. You have to, so it's something that haunts you that's maybe not even true. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's that first it's time. It's so true. It's the train. It's everything, right? You know? Yeah. Yeah, the first kiss, right? Yeah. And uh, everyone deserves a Laura. So I'll be your Laura when, you know come to a show or enjoy the record but everybody has something like that it lets you contemplate the sides of yourself you know yeah. david raxon is some writer yeah. some writer um i don't know if you noticed on the album there's a second david raxon song and oh, i yeah. was chatting with i was talking actually to michael feinstein just last night uh -huh. because michael feinstein does a beautiful version of the theme from the bad and the beautiful oh yeah what you do yeah uh, which I do as well. I have uh, I have a version of it, and he's the person who put me onto the song. And it's a song that Bill Evans has recorded. Tony Bennett um, has a record, obviously, with Bill Evans, mm -hmm. and it's an instrumental. Uh, be I believe that it has baffled many a singer. Yeah, I've, a, uh, yeah, I've never heard it with words before until I heard it on the album. Oh, really? Yeah. Am I your first? I am. Well, yeah, you are. You ought to hear. You ought to hear Michael Feinstein. I think it's Such Sweet Sorrow is the name of his album. Oh, yeah, and yeah. He, he said David Roxon was in the room with the orchestra when he recorded it, and Liza Minnelli was also in the room, and her father was the director of oh, the, the film. Oh, the movie, yeah, yeah. So it was, he said it was a very moving, very emotional recording session, and I think his arrangement is spectacular. Yeah. A thousand instruments. My arrangement... Is ruminative. It's alone with ja with a jazz pianist named Ted Firth, uh -huh. and I think Ted I think Ted reads my mind. So, if you're interested in what mind reading jazz sounds like, mm -hmm. <laughs> he he is an orchestra to me, and it's one of the great songs I believe uh, in my life now too. Because I try, I like to to find women women's voices as well in music. Yeah. And when I find them, like Alan and Marilyn Bergman, yeah. you know, to, know, to know a woman wrote the words, Dory Previn, Andre Previn's uh, first wife, mm -hmm. was an enigmatic woman herself, interesting, intellectual woman. She wrote the lyrics to The Bad and the Beautiful. And it's almost like a novelist wrote it. It's more than normal lyrics. It has internal rhymes that nobody on earth... Uh, except her could have ever thought of and it it may be it maybe the hardest song i ever learned to sing yeah. um it took me weeks to learn the melody it's that hard really? um it's that hard but it has these wonderful internal rhymes if i can remember one um 
love is blind. It's helplessly inclined to bind itself to discontentment. So you have the blind inclined, and then in the inside of the next sentence, to bind itself to discontentment. So you have to just sit on the rhyme, but while singing right past it. And, you know, the most famous version of that is in uh, Someone to Watch Over Me. Yeah. Although he may not be the man some girls think of as handsome, there's man-some, handsome. Man-some, girls think of as handsome. It's not that you rhyme those, but you must recognize it's there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, those are the things that singers like me get, you know... We, we spend hours on these things. This is all I do. This do you, is why I'm on your podcast. <laughs> do, you, do you think about these things while you're singing it, though, or is this all in the, the rehearsal and the study beforehand, before you record, say? All in the study. I have a new, uh, pre-pandemic, but, but definitely the pandemic itself completely changed me mm. to a person who decided I couldn't control the outside world I couldn't control success. I cannot control who's going to hire me, but I can control my knowledge and I can control how many hours I put in and how much I let music really seep in. And I think that I would like to erase everything I've ever done and, and start from now because I work differently now. I don't do things because someone said, here's a song or here's a show and here's a new song for the show. Or here's some, and you know, actors, we do everything we're told, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm happy with all the things I've done, but I'm now a different person. I'm older, and I'm doing without, let's say, in the pandemic when nobody is um, pulling your strings, you you create your own string, and you make your puppet, and you start to say, well, how do I want to, you know, what do I want to sing mm-hmm. and study? And then there's a different foundation for the choices you make. They're yours. And I'm not to say not to say I wouldn't like to get a job. I'd love to get a job, mm-hmm. but I also have access now to a different um, a different way of of working. So hours and hours and hours of work I put into. I'd get a track during the pandemic. I'd get a track from the pianist, mm-hmm. and I'd practice it. Um, and then the moment we could with masks, I was getting together with people like my voice co- voice co- coach or my piano player. And um, I know it sounds stupid, maybe, it's, but it's the more you repeat something, the more you, it's like walking in the woods, you know, you find something yeah. uh, in yourself, in your voice, in the vowel, in the work. Then you say, oh, there was a verse. Oh, listen to this. This old lady, this singer, this famous singer, did it once live. And who, where does this come from? You know, June Christie, we found some old June Christie oh, yeah, records. Yeah. And she had done the opening of Angel Eyes, but she didn't sing it right. So I learned it wrong. And then we had to figure out where the published music was because Ted was concerned that we don't learn something from June Christie. Yeah. And she's wonderful, but she didn't sing the notes exactly as they were written. So w- then there's a whole process of making sure we know it. And then if we want to do it her way or another way, we know where. That's you, the process. The process is. You've got options. Oh my yeah. God! Look at this. Oh my God! The lyrics. Oh yeah. my God! I love this. Oh my God! I've learned it. I have to tr- get it transcribed off the internet because it's not published. Uh-huh. Um, we didn't think it was published. Um, this is a process. So it's like archaeology, or hieroglyphics, or something. And yeah. you just go 
figure to figure until you have a sentence. Yeah, I was I was going to say that your voice on 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 this album um, is at its strongest. Like the the Sondheim album, I, which I love and and have, have played repeatedly, um, is terrific. But but you 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 do the thing, and I I saw this on YouTube. Barbara Cook was was uh, talking on YouTube about um, when she was learning singing, and and um, people had taught her not to say the consonants, for example. Um, but then they said, uh, go see Mabel Mercer, who does. And hmm. um, you're, 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 if you follow that, you're probably going to do quite well in, <laughs> as a singer. And and you do that in, you know, on that. I, I hear the consonants it's when you say It's a good question whether it's consonants or not consonants. I, you should use the consonants. Yeah. Um, you should use the consonants. And I, I may have erred on the side earlier in my career of not doing that or maybe overdoing that because at first, because it's theater singing, it's all about clarity. Mm. You literally have to be heard across the room. Yeah. Um, and then the clarity doesn't have ambiance. And then you might, then I start working with jazz players and then I get in, entranced by the ambiance and the bluesiness and I slide into notes and then I might have gone through a period where I was more involved in the sliding around in the melody so that I could relax and explore the chord, and explore the feeling of singing. And now I want to use the confidence to spring, spring with, with nice pitch into what they call riding the voice. Mm. So hopefully I'll do both. Use the word, if it's should, use the F-H. Yeah. And get, so it's not just should, and it's not low in the voice, but you, above the pitch, should so that it's almost you don't let the uh, consonants drag the pitch down i knew barbara cook mm -hmm. she was so sweet to me she knows i'm a thinker you know and she held my hand once at the we were in the state department in washington dc yeah she was a guest she was not singing that night she was in a wheelchair i had seen her m many other times when she was healthy as a whore yeah yeah but she was older and she ha she said you were so good today wow and i said thank you and I said, well, maybe I need a director to help me with pulling my concerts together. She goes, you do not need a director. <laughs> and I looked at her, you know, me, I have, you don't know me, but I do have this 50s weakness. I think my parents were not creatures of the 60s, but the 50s. Uh -huh. This idea that maybe um, a man or someone else is going to help you. She says, you don't need a director and you don't need to worry about what you, you choose 13 songs you like and there's your concert mm. you've got and she really believes that you know, she really wanted me to hear her that I was enough um, I think I might be glad I remembered that she said that mm. uh, yeah. I put my children to bed last night saying I had seen it you know a wonderful Benet Brown quote and I just kissed them all goodnight I always say something and I said you are enough you are loved. You are worthy. And I kissed all three. And it's funny that you never tire of being told that. Mm, yeah, yeah. The human being. Yeah, mm. yeah. It, it, so anyway, Barbara was very generous to me and encouraging. So the, the uh, at, at the end of um, Shadows and Light, a uh, song on the album, mm -hmm. you evoke this sigh that I, I don't know if that was planned. I, I just thought it was so right for, for not just the song that we just heard. 
but for the, the the idea of performing a song on an album, I just thought it was just so delightful to hear. It's funny you should draw to your eye to that because Shadows and Light is a song that was written by David Shire this year. Uh-huh. David Shire is uh, Oscar-winning composer. He wrote the musical Baby, written yeah. many many movies, and he wrote a neo-noir movie called Farewell, My Lovely. And he it was a very famous score. Robert Mitchum was yeah, Mitchum older. Was, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, Robert Mitchum was in that movie. And there was a wonderful score called, uh, I mean, song called Marlowe's Theme. Right. And Marlowe's Theme has always been one of the most beautiful film yeah. songs, their melodies. For the first time ever, Adam Gopnik, his friend and collaborator, was allowed or given the thumbs up to write lyrics to that famous song from a neo-noir movie, and that's on the record, too. It's called Farewell, My Love. Yeah. And uh, David Shire was very moved that he was a part of this noir thing. Of course, he thought it was appropriate because he really did one of the great movie scores. And we asked him if he would write a song for the end of the album that would make it clear that I was using noir as a metaphor, mm-hmm. as, as a window to an idea or a mirror of an idea or somehow a benediction, something that I'm not obsessed with sex and darkness and murder (laughs) or anything, but darkness and dark things um, help us to understand and maybe appreciate the shapes of light and things that are light. On the other side of darkness, there might be light. And I owe... everything to Adam Gopnik for his songwriting skills and his uh, mastery over language that he encouraged the thought, the, the emotion and the melody out of David, but with his craft, his great sense of the craft of writing songs, he wrote a beautiful song called Shadows and Light where it says, bless each shadow, bless each pain, seek the sun, but see the rain. Yeah. Be glad for the clouds that come to shape our sight with shadows that show the shape of light. And he wrote a second verse uh, that goes, Out of the dark we move to find the shapes that light can make. Darkest of nights still prove the truth that mornings break. Holding to the pain it takes, a heart mends strongest where it breaks. Each cloud in the sky will let your mind take flight. Each shadow will show the shape of light. I think what Adam is saying there in this beautiful melody is that the darkness, that without shadow we will never see the shape of light. And that without pain, um, in some ways that each cloud will, the pain is an opportunity in its own way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So only an intellectual like Adam could put, or Dory Previn, you know, could, could set words to flight like that yeah. so, um, so I'm glad you picked up on that he, um, from an audio standpoint that song is the only uh, track on the album that's not EQ'd it hasn't been in any way um, warmed by the audio engineer he said he had to treat that song completely differently and he doesn't know exactly what happened but I cried to tell you the truth I cried so hard Really, the f- first few times I couldn't sing it and after crying, my voice and my body was a different shape, I guess, my throat or something. And the resonance was different huh. from having wept. And 
the guitar player was just waiting and waiting and waiting to see uh, Bob Mann, who played with Linda Ronstadt. Uh-huh. And he just, he saw me crying and he started the song and I cried through it a little, so that one was on the tape. But he, he waited until he thought, maybe I'll get a good take from her. It was like a therapy session. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he played me in and I cried through it. And then I, then I think we did another and another. So the probably the third one is the one we kept. There's something about the song that maybe last summer when we were just starting to be told we might see each other again and yeah. work again. And it was late last summer when I sang it. And I think I wanted this pandemic to end so badly. It seemed so unnatural. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was dying for this idea, what Adam was writing, this idea that there might be light at the other end of this. Um, so, without being too melodramatic, that song hit a nerve, and also it, when you say there's a sigh in it, I had, I don't know which sigh, but I had wept through that session. Wow, yeah. That's, that's amazing yeah. to, 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 to get all the, 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 the backstory to, to the, uh, yeah. the session. That it, I can't yeah. wait to go back and listen to the song now, because I want to hear that, you know, I want to hear all this stuff. But when you're listening, too, listen to the way the guitar plays, mm, because yeah. he knew I was weeping. And he's an old guy, right? He's been with yeah. all the great stars. He's played for all the best stars in the world. And I'm sure there have been a few meltdowns in rock history. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think I'm the first uh, singer to cry. Um, and he was so sensitive but brave, you see. He he didn't think, like, well, i got to go get a coffee because he's having a meltdown. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, he waited. He respected it. And he thought of it as an artistic, not opportunity, but a tool. And he was waiting until maybe I could breathe or, you know, enough to sing. And then he started to play. He nobody, an audio engineer also didn't 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 say, We're gonna keep rolling on this. He was rolling. Everybody was rolling and I was just trying my hardest to get to, to pull it together. Anyway, listen to the guitar because you'll yeah. hear the depth of his experience. He's a like I said, he's a mature guy maybe in his late 70s, mm-hmm. and a skilled, skilled acoustic artist. I mean, you know, that, that guitar was was supporting me. Yeah, yeah. You know, he was talking to me. He was saying, come on. Yeah. You, know? you mentioned Gopnik's lyrics, and I, I found this this video of you on YouTube from last year where you perform, I think it's three, three New York songs that, that Adam has yeah. rewritten the lyrics to. <laughs> And, I mean, yeah. the lyrics to Shadows and Light, as you just told us, are just remarkable. But when when he rewrites, say, Cole Porter or or Fred Ebb um, or, or um, uh, uh, I guess it's Larry Hart. Um, it, it's so ha- funny, You right? have to be clever to do that, right? You know, you oh. have to be a smart person you to do that. You have to be as smart <laughs> as Larry Hart. Yeah. Adam Gopnik is. He is as smart as any wordsmith musical wordsmith that ever walked the earth i will stand by that so i hope your your listeners will youtube um adam gopnik melissa erico maybe or google that and you'll see a mishmash of um christmas songs he did a wonderful parody of mel torme's christmas song oh yeah um oh my god it's so funny and the parody is wonderful and his own musical our table which he wrote with david shire is also on spotify a wonderful musical about um, a small 
restaurant with high, high, uh, high class and uh, expert menu uh-huh. sort of falling out of favor for this world of tapas and quick turnarounds and mm-hmm. this uh, this chef, you know, who had a great ideal for how to serve beautiful meals in New York City in a special place, feeling like he's been railroaded by the new economics and the new value systems of, you know, pizzas and everybody in a hurry. Yeah. And so the restaurant goes out of business, and it's quite moving to see how he, the lead character manages his family and uh, restoring for another chapter in life. But yeah. wonderful musical about a restaurant. Yeah. Anyway, so Adam's work is incredible. He's a songwriter as well as everything else. Yeah, I mean, I'd hate to not read him in The New Yorker, but, I mean, he has this other career that he could go into quite easily, (laughs) you know, as a songwriter, right? Yes, he does. He does. I think he'll do do both, and I think think you're in for some some wonderful work ahead. He has a musical he's writing with, um, I think I can say, with Adam uh, Andrew Lippa. Uh Uh-huh. And um, another one with David Shire, yeah. uh, as well as these other songs we write together, and who knows what. So, yeah, yeah. he's an extraordinary person. I mentioned uh, Sondheim Sublime, which is a, a marvelous album. Um, and I listened to it recently, um, and, and this would have been after Sondheim's death. Um, and I've listened to it do- dozens of times before. It it, mm. it sounds different now after he's died, and I, I wonder when when you think of Sondheim songs, or if you, if you get the chance to perform them, say, uh, publicly, do, do, does it feel different for you after his death? It does. It does. I mean, I'm very honored to be um, doing tributes regularly, actually, mm-hmm. since he passed, and and we'll be in the Carnegie Hall um, tribute in November. I was just asked to be a part of that, so mm-hmm. I will be making my Carnegie Hall debut. In his honor, which which feels sounds great. like an honor, I yeah. can't I, I can't explain, but uh, it does feel different. Um, I changed my opening number for the tribute concert. I have a concert. One of the concerts I call "No One Is Alone." Melissa Erico remembers Stephen Sondheim. Mm-hmm. I've sung a bunch of uh, concerts. At in November, uh, in rather in February of this year, Las Vegas and Indianapolis, called Sondheim more sublime. Uh, the idea of sublimity was already a celestial kind of afterlife type idea. Yeah. One of the core ideas of Sondheim sublime was a very Sondheimian thought, which is that we die but we don't. Mm. We disappoint, we disappear, we die but we don't. What do we leave behind when we depart this world? This comes up in his his shows all the time. So since he left, it's only another chance to look at that theme in the most obvious sense that he left behind, masses of wisdom and beauty, and lived himself a beautiful, shaped life, full of love at the end, and masses of uh, warmth and support in an almost professorial way, he wrote letters and supportive emails to artists and yeah. composers more and more as he got older. The sort of shape of his story seems to be that he got more and more um, loquacious, really, with his emails. He sent me hundreds, uh-huh. well, a hundred, about a hundred, um, encouragements, notes, analysis of my work, watching videos and giving me notes, um, 
and giving me hidden songs, ideas about how to be a what he called a girl singer. Uh-huh. He says, you're an actress and a girl singer. So I think when he, now that he has passed, it's just, you just look at things a little bit differently as to what he left behind and maybe um, share a little bit of how he impacted, in my case, how he impacted how I go about things things that he was chastising about. He yeah. doesn't like self-deprecation on stage. If you make any jokes where you put yourself down, uh-huh, uh-huh. he um, he asked me in an email to drop that right now. He says, I'm the king of, I'm the champ. He goes, you can't beat me at self-deprecation. <laughs> I'm the champ, but get rid of it. It's the least attractive thing in your show. Yeah. I remember that email. And other times I'd ask him about a high note that Bernadette sings, or should I sing that at the end of Children Will Listen? And should, do it the way you want. Do sing it the way I wrote it, uh-huh. or forget the high note. Do what you want to do. You know, he would many times just encourage me to follow my intuition. In other words, he felt I was on, in certain cases, I was on the right track. And he just sort of cemented my feet further, saying, carry on, you know. And that that is the kind of thing you think while you're singing and you're sort of praising him or tributing him where you feel grateful for that, and you want to make sure people know he had that um, paternal quality to a lot of us. He's like our father. He's like our God. It's almost a religion. He's almost a druid, really, to actors. (laughs) We admire him so much. You know, he was was a terrifying figure. So you can say things maybe a little more frankly now, you know, that he was so scary. You might not have said that before, because seems obnoxious to say that, but to, to admit how much you admire someone, uh, well, I guess you, I, I used to say that, I used to say that as well, if he was intimidating, but um, anyhow, it's an honor to sing his music now that he's passed, it was an honor when he was alive, it's a little hard uh, to even comprehend that he's not um, yeah. with us anymore, because mm-hmm. he stood for everything I believe in about theater and intelligent theater and him being around was always so exciting and always wondering what he was doing and where he was and when the next appearance he might make or if he would come backstage if you get to be in one of his shows he always shows up Mm -hmm. and he might just say one something you're going to remember and he always did anytime he came backstage he'd say one something that would rock you you know Uh, he came and saw me at Do I Hear a Waltz? He came to dress rehearsal, and he said, uh, he said in front of 150 people, oh, Melissa, he goes, oh, you were wonderful most of the time. (laughs) 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 He always had a zinger, you know, and you learn that the zinger is life. Like, it's so great to not take everything so seriously, right? And so when I tell that story, you know, in a concert, I might say that, about his writing, and that's exactly what he's like. He says one thing, and then he qualifies it. He'll say one thing, and then he'll make you unsure about what he just said. Like the famous song, Marry Me a Little. Right. Marry Me a Little. You know, the marry me a little. (laughs) That's just like most of the time. So I always say to the audience, you know, this complexity and this ambivalence is is what makes him so wonderful to sing most of the time. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> did, did was Legrand the same way with you? In terms Legrand of, is different. This the, is the paternal sense, funny. if you will. Yes, 
uh-huh. paternal, but a completely different person. He's European. He's a jazz artist. He's not. He doesn't have a sense of what the right way is to sing his music. The two men could not be more different. In fact, I'm not sure how many people besides me would say that they're the two their their two favorite composers are these two men. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's almost one is so analytical and smart and demanding and really demands weeks of study, weeks and weeks until you know any of his songs. Whereas Michel Legrand's slow and they swoon and they're European uh, romantic love songs, most of them, or mm-hmm. sad, but it flows out of the same kind of uh, um, water, as it were, of, of like French chanson tradition of... Uh, melancholic melancholic or romantic like a troubadour from the middle ages you know just someone who's singing to make you fall in love someone who just wants to make you feel and feel and feel Michel Legrand just was like fun you know he was just fun and he was Melissa Melissa come Melissa let's go do this Melissa come 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 you know he was always like it was some like ice cream we had to go get ice cream you know (laughs) (laughs) that's his what that was his demeanor was was bubbly and um, delicious. So I met him on Broadway. Uh-huh. I was I was um, cast to star in uh, Amour, a musical that he wrote that was coming over from Paris, and it was called Le Passe Muraille in, in France, which uh-huh. means the man who walks through walls. And I guess they thought that was too esoteric or weird for New York. And they said that Americans only know three French words. They know Amour, Bonjour and croissant. <laughs> <laughs> James Lapine, who wrote all of Sondheim's music, many of his yeah. letters, several of his musicals, James Lapine um, was the director of Michel Legrand's Broadway uh, debut. And he said that to us on the first day. He goes, Guys, the cast, he said privately, What are we going to name this show? Americans only know three French words. <laughs> So it's not croissant the musical. (laughs) (laughs) So then Michel Legrand was in the room, you know, and I was so excited. He was so funny and like a boy. Like he was on Broadway. But you see, he already had 15 Oscar nominations, five Oscars, and bazillions of dollars. He's worked with Miles Davis and Sarah Vaughan and Barbara Streisand. And his life has been a great, deserved adventure. And... You know, he had many wives or women in his life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Well, wives. Um, I mean, a main wife, but he had the children, and he's a wonderful man, but he's not a, uh, like the Bergmans were married forever, yeah, you know, yeah. and his, his, the most domestic of people and most grounded, loving um, individuals known to man, very different than their collaborator, Michel, who was an adventurous Frenchman and playful and always ready to jump on a boat. Uh, or a plane. He has a small plane, with a uh, two-seater uh-huh. plane, and I've been on the plane. Um, Michelle's flown me over the Pyrenees in a storm. <laughs> <laughs> he loved to go flying. And I, I was, I didn't have kids, you know, so Melissa, come, you and Patrick, you come to the airport. And yeah. we would think, oh, we're going to the airport. We're going to go see Mindy's country house or something. This is after we had worked on an album together uh-huh. and we got to the airport and it was not the airport. It was this piece of grass with a plane and he was <laughs> taking us on the plane in his little fishing, fishing hat and his sneakers. So this is the kind of thing you do with Michelle O'Gron. I don't think that Sondheim 
<laughs> is going to jump in a plane no. over the Pyrenees <laughs> and to go swimming because he wanted to go on a trip. And Michelle wanted to go on a trip. And then he wanted to go to, where did he want to go? Andorra. He wanted mm. to go to Andorra to be, to make a jazz, to do a jazz concert with Chucho Valdez because he'd forgotten that he had the concert. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, you can't make this up. So we're in the plane again, you yeah. know. Well, in that case, we were in a car going up the mountains, down the mountains. And Michelle has a, a very funny habit of not wanting to, if there's a car, he doesn't want someone else to drive. So you, even if you don't know how to drive or where you are, you drive. He'll tell you where to go. And so I jump behind the wheel, or Patrick, uh-huh. and Michelle sits in the back seat with this long four-and-a-half-foot wooden keyboard that he had made that's weighted, and it's a piano. And anywhere you go, he has to practice the piano in yeah. the back seat. I don't, I don't know why people don't know this story, because other people who know him know about the keyboard, but it's never been – you don't see yeah, any yeah. of these. There's no documentary where they say Michelle Obama's was nuts, you know, um, <laughs> and used to play. So he'd sit in the back seat, and if you were going up, for example, a mountain, you have to turn the car. So that means the keyboard would lean. And he'd say, Patrick, could you be more straight? Patrick, Patrick I'm working. <laughs> and Patrick would give me, like, we're in the Pyrenees. I can't control this little car. Yeah. We're in this little junky French car, you know. Yeah. You can, it's just hilarious. So he puts you in these situations which are, in their own way, mirrors of the music, which is so fun, you know. His music is so fun, and it can jump um, uh, tempo whenever you want. You could be in a Shirley Horn tempo. You could be swinging. You could be in a romantic rubato where you're following each other. Yeah, yeah. He used to tell me that rubato was very important, and... Uh, and that rubato, the word, means to steal. Melissa, it is to steal. I will steal, then you will steal. Mm. <laughs> you know, so he's funny. And so you would sing with, with like, a, la- a smile, you know. Yeah. Sometimes you don't have a smile, really, until <laughs> maybe, like, seven weeks later. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's my, these are all my obsessions. You've gone through, you've hit all three. Well, I was going to mention Patrick, because I, I grew up listening to Imus. And so I remember oh. Patrick from from the Imus show, and yeah. um, so so this was all happening. I guess was this during that time or after? Probably right. Oh, Michelle Legrand during the you're, you're probably right. It may it may overlap with Imus. You have no idea. My marriage is I've had a long marriage. I have <laughs> a long marriage, yeah. but we have it's like a FedEx commercial. Like Patrick would be, I'm going to Johannesburg, so then you are going to be in San Francisco, so then I'll go to, if if you're in San Francisco pre-Broadway, then I'll play in China. Like, when he used to be playing matches, he would oh, choose, yeah. like, if he'd play in Asia, because I was in San Francisco, and then, so, Imus, half of his whole career on Imus was at a time where I decided to live in L.A. Oh, yeah. So he, he would wake up New York in L.A. Yeah. So that meant it was, what, two in the morning? Yeah, yeah. Or something? To, to wake up in New York at 5 in the morning. Yeah. So Patrick did a lot of Imus in the middle of the night. Um, <laughs> anyway. And that, that's in I, his I book, right by though. the way. The, that's in his book, the, the famous, uh, when he resigned from the show. <laughs> he was in L.A., oh. right? <laughs> oh, is that what it says? Yeah, well, that's the truth. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, uh, I, 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 it's easier to tell the truth because the, the truth is crazy enough. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. I um, uh, have, uh, have been a, 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 such a fan of yours for, for many, many years now. To, 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 and then to, to have this genre of music in this, on this album um, has just been delightful over the last few months. And then now to be able to talk to you about it. Uh, you, oh, you won't you. understand what this is, has, has meant to me, and, and um, oh. I, I've kept you longer than I said I would, but I, I've just so enjoyed oh, it. Oh, well, thank you. Well, I appreciate it, too. You know, I'm trying myself to to use music uh, in different interesting ways by working with someone like Adam, by uh-huh. uh, thinking about Sondheim as a sublime person, you know, yeah. with, with otherworldly philosophical uh, ideas and angles it's not just specific to his musicals and so i've been working on his music and then michelle legrand you keeping him alive and people laughing and enjoying and you know playing with jazz musicians uh-huh. like i just did in london you know this is a joy for me so if you like it uh you know i'll i'll get up in the morning each day <laughs> <laughs> the, the the i i told you that laura is one of my favorite songs but the the, the yeah. song that of yours that i have playing regularly is <laughs> Happiness is just a thing called Joe, which is a single you did not too long ago, because I think that's yeah. about me, right? <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> oh, if we ever meet or if I sing at your birthday, I know what I'll sing. <laughs> well, yeah. I so appreciate this. Congratulations on everything and continue good luck oh. with everything. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The website for more is at thefilmnoirproject.com. The album is called Out of the Dark, The Film Noir Project. It's from Ghostlight Records. Melissa Errico, join me on the line from New York City and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunder.